the State of the Union Address on January 8, 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson declared war on poverty as part of his great society vision. In short, his plan was to increase the federal government's involvement in domestic poverty reduction through a series of legislation and programs. We can look back and discuss the pros and cons of Johnson's plans, many of which actually linger six decades later. Poverty is a complicated reality in the United States and really around the world, the causes of which are multifaceted. And there have been those in material poverty and material wealth, for that matter, since the earliest generations of civilization. But what are God's thoughts regarding the poor, and what do those thoughts reveal about his heart? What are those implications for you and I today? Well, welcome to the Wisdom Calling Podcast. My name is Bobo Beck, and I am the host. I write and speak about wisdom quite a bit, as it's a matter for our soul, and it's needed more than ever in our ever-increasing modern world. You and I need biblical wisdom to help us think more critically and live more strategically. And part of cultivating wisdom is knowing how to steward and manage and navigate our material resources. So that's what we're talking about in this episode as we consider God's economy. So thanks so much for tuning in. When we go back and study the history of Israel, God's chosen people, we can learn some of his heart toward the materially poor. The broader context for this discussion covers 40 years of Israel's history, from Sinai to the edge of the Promised Land. There, God outlined through Moses what holiness and wholeheartedness should look like among his people and how they should act toward each other in the community. This was God's ideal commonwealth. And we will see at least three primary results of God's economic system that he set up for his people. Number one, we'll see a greater dependence on him. Two, a restraint against greed. And three, increased social stability. God wanted his people to depend fully on him and allow his rule to permeate every arena of their lives, including their possessions and money. For example, God commanded them to not steal because that threatened the social order of the covenant community. He instituted voluntary offerings and opportunities to give financially, which resulted in preserving Israel's identity socioeconomically and reminding them that he was ultimately the owner of everything. In Exodus chapters 23 and 35, Yahweh provided an opportunity for his people to demonstrate generosity by contributing their resources, their skills, and their time to the construction of the tabernacle, which was a, a movable tent 
used to meet with and worship God. There were skillful men and women in Israel, the text says, whose hearts stirred to serve God in these tangible ways. They had, in quote, generous hearts and were moved with commitment to Yahweh and compassion for others. The Israelites did so voluntarily and willingly. They gave, as the text says in Exodus 35, free will offerings. God also instituted laws about the restitution of animals and property. He established feasts and festivals to periodically remind his people that he was their redeemer and that they were his possession. In his economy, Yahweh saw to it that no one owned their land and servants indefinitely. There were laws dealing with the redemption of people and property. There was also a provision that land was to remain fallow or rest during the Sabbath year. Yahweh instituted a system of offerings, some voluntary, like the burnt offering, the grain offering, peace offerings, and some were required to cleanse from sin. Some offerings were to be administered daily, some each Sabbath, some monthly, and some yearly at Passover. These were all regular means to cultivate personal holiness and draw close to God while meeting the needs of God's people. You see, there was a a natural connection between personal piety and how God's people were to treat each other, especially those who were materially poor. Yahweh himself said he hears the cries of the poor and that he is compassionate toward them. He wanted his people to do and be the same. He didn't even want them to charge interest when lending money. He wanted those who had fields and vineyards to leave the wheat and grapes that had fallen during the harvesting process so that the poor and visitors could have food to eat. God further wanted his people to show kindness to the poor and visitors by providing them homes and food without charging them. They were to be responsible for their fellow man and help the needy and strangers. So let's think further about these three primary results from God's ideal commonwealth. First of all, a greater dependence on God. Repeatedly, God reminded his people that he was God and was the one who had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. He had to remind them because they easily forgot. The same tendency is true for us today. God ultimately wants our hearts. So he called for a Sabbath year so that his people would learn to trust in him for their provision. He calls us to trust him in a similar way, not specifically with a Sabbath year, but in fully relying on him for our provision. He wants us to be committed to him and make his name great throughout the earth. He wants us to voluntarily and regularly give from a heart that is willing and free. 
So one of the first outcomes of doing things God's way is a greater dependence on him. Secondly, is a restraint against greed. By instituting seasons where land and servants could be returned and fields would remain fallow, God provided a built-in system to restrain people from excessive wealth accumulation. He asked people to contribute their time and money and skills to create a place for worship, giving them the opportunity to focus on serving him and not merely their own needs. You know, it's difficult for greed to take root and grow in our hearts when we are constantly looking for ways to help those around us. This is true for us individually, for our families, for our organizations that we're a part of, and the broader socio-political communities we live in. The third result from God's ideal commonwealth is increased social stability. The causes of material poverty are multifaceted today, much in the same way that they were for the people of Israel. Ultimately, poverty is rooted in broken relationships with ourself, with God, with each other, and the rest of creation. I remember meeting a homeless man named John when I lived in Philadelphia. He would stand at a busy intersection on one of the busiest streets in the city, Route 1. And I had seen him several times, but finally he was stopped at a red light next to him. So I rolled down my window and introduced myself and then asked him his name. And later I would come back and call him over to the corner gas station to learn more of his story. He was actually currently living in his broken down car within eyesight of where we were standing. John previously had a decent job, but was injured at work. As part of his recovery plan, his doctor prescribed pain medication. You can already see where this is going. His leg never fully healed and he quickly became addicted to what was prescribed to bring about healing. Those pills only brought further death and pain. Because his leg never healed, he couldn't return to work and eventually lost his job. And without income, his significant other kicked him out of the house All he had was his car, but it no longer worked as well. And to make matters worse, he lost his driver's license and and needed his birth certificate to get a new one and apply for new jobs. The downward spiral continued. He was even mugged one evening by some of the neighborhood kids who knew that he would have cash in his pocket. To make a long story short, Myself and others from my church, we tried to help John and helped him get temporary housing and helped him repair his car and tried to help him navigate the complexities of trying to prove your identity. It was also very complicated. It wasn't a simple solution as the issues had quickly compounded onto each other. There were similar stories of others I would interact with. One of the common themes was the brokenness of relationships, a brokenness of relationships with themselves, with God, with others. You know, when our relationships are healthy and whole, the probability of our social stability increases dramatically. 
Again, this isn't an episode to try and solve the compounded complexities of poverty in America, but it is a call for you and I to lean in, to understand and be reminded of God's heart toward individuals just like John, to get involved. You know, the rule of God in every aspect of life should have a stabilizing effect on our families, our communities, and our companies. Responsibility, kindness, and compassion, they're actually all hallmarks of holiness and means of restoring the brokenness in and around us. No, we aren't the nation of Israel. We don't live under a theocracy like they did, but we can seek to emulate God's economy, his way of caring and providing for those in need. This is the way of wisdom. So may God specifically use you and I, our our families, our churches, and our companies to be tangible means of grace to those around us. May we, of all people, live with excessive generosity rather than excessive wealth. And as we do, we have the opportunity to point others to the Redeemer. Well, I hope this discussion is encouraging and challenging to you. We have been blessed in so many ways and have such an amazing opportunity to be instruments of grace and healing all around us. But we have to move through life with our eyes and ears open. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen If you have found it helpful in any way, would you take a moment to forward this episode to a handful of people you think might be encouraged as well? My desire is to get content like this out to as many people as possible, and you are a significant means of making that happen. By the way, this conversation is adapted from one of the devotionals from Volume 1, in the Wisdom Calling devotional series. And through those, I'm tracking the theme of wisdom, primarily workplace wisdom, through the pages of Scripture. And there are now three volumes available, which is 90 devotionals. Volume 3 just came out, and it's now available on the website, wisdomcalling.org, as well as Amazon. I actually did... A bonus episode to talk specifically about this new volume. So go back, listen to that if you haven't yet. I've really enjoyed the feedback and the conversations that these devotionals have triggered. For example, a ministry and business leader recently emailed me the following. I hope you are well. I wanted to extend an appreciation for the Wisdom Calling devotional book. We left for vacation and I took it with me. I needed to dedicate myself to a devotional, and I thought that would be a good start. The devotionals have been pointed and prodding as well as comforting. Thank you. So, of course, this message was super encouraging to me, and it triggered me to remain focused on this mission, which is to help as many professionals as I can to think more critically and to live more strategically. Well, that's all the time for now. Until next time, grace and peace.